This morning's text is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles or in the Pew Bible in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I neglected to say during the announcements that uh, those of you who are visiting after this service through those double doors in the overflow room, we have a, a reception time. So if you want to linger afterwards and give us a chance to meet you, there are some refreshments there and we'd like that very much. I can remember one time when I was a child that my mother actually washed out my mouth with soap. She took me to the bathroom sink and she rubbed the bar of soap around in my mouth and then she rinsed it out and sent me to my room. You know what I had said? I had said, shut up to my sister. Now, why should my mother get so riled about saying shut up to my sister? I think it's because she believed the words of Jesus when he said, it's not what goes into a boy's mouth that defiles the boy. It's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. So I had defiled myself made myself dirty, and my mother had a white-hot passion for my purity. And so she washed my mouth out with soap that one time, and I've never forgotten it. I think she did right. I've risen up to call her blessed many, many times. I did this week on her 68th birthday, same day that uh, John, I mean, uh, Paul Jedithan Palermo was born, my mother's birthday, so I'll... Remember his. But really, mother, someone will say, what's the big deal? Shut up to a sister from a kid brother? I mean, what could be more normal? It's not taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's not a dirty word. It's... uh, Why get so head up about it? The answer is that when I said shut up to my sister, 
It was mean. It didn't have any affection in it. It didn't have any love in it. It didn't have any goodwill or kindness or moral beauty in it. It was ugly. It was mean. It came from a garbage pile of of uh, one-upmanship and pride and resentment down in the bottom of my little heart. And I, I don't think that uh, we should become accustomed to sin just because it's normal. We excuse perhaps a lot of things in children because we say that's just the way children are. Right, they're wicked. And it isn't good to get accustomed to wickedness. But I, I thank God more for the fact that my mother was a zealot for purity of heart than that she was a zealot for purity of, of mouth. She was a Christian more than she was a, a moralist. She knew that soap in the mouth couldn't touch the, the dirt in the heart. If she hadn't known that, she wouldn't have cried when she did it. So she taught me more than that. She taught me Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, the old model that we've been working now for four weeks Son, you've got to put off the old, mean-spirited, pushy, aggressive, uncaring boy. You've got to put him off. And you've got to put on a new boy, created in the image of God, in holiness and, and righteousness, in the truth. You've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Otherwise, this junk is just going to keep erupting out of your evil heart. In the end, she made very clear that the battle for purity was fought in the heart and not fought in the mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks, the master said. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the question I have for you right at the outset this morning is, are you happy with your mouth? Is everybody here satisfied with your mouth and the way you've been using it recently to wife, to children, to colleagues? My guess is that 99% of us are not satisfied with our mouths. I'm sure not. It's out of control many times. And so if that's your case, then listen, because Paul has some powerful words to say about how to change that this morning. Let's read verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Um, There are different translations here. The RSV says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths. If you have an NIV, a New International Version or a New American Standard Bible, you probably see let no unwholesome talk or word 
come out of your mouth. If you have an old King James, it says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Now, the question is, what lies behind those words? Corruption, unwholesomeness, evil. I'm going to suggest the word rotten. Let no rotten language come out of your mouth. Now, here's why I choose the word rotten. The Greek word that's chosen by Paul here is rare in the New Testament. It's only used in one other context. Namely, in all the places in the Gospels where Jesus referred to a bad tree bearing bad fruit and a good tree bearing good fruit, this is the word for bad fruit that he uses. It's not ordinarily a moral word. It's bad fruit. It's rotten fruit, decayed, spoiled fruit. That's what's used. For example, in Luke uh, 6.43, Jesus says, It is not the good tree that bears bad, and there's that word, sapros, the bad fruit. So I think Paul has chosen a word that has connotations of rottenness about it. Decay, spoiled, ruined, good for nothing. And so that's the kind of language that's to be taken off, stripped off. Rotten language is the old garment that you come to conversion with and then uh, you get changed and you're supposed to strip it off like a garment and put on a new kind of language. So my first question this morning is, what kind of language is included in rotten language? What is Paul really referring to when he says, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth? I think four kinds of language would be included here in rotten language. And I think if Paul were here, he would say, yeah, those are the four at least that I have in mind and more probably. So here they are. Number one. Taking the name of the Lord in vain. Christians should not take the name of the Lord, their God or of their Lord Christ in vain. It's a contradiction when Christians say God or my God or God Almighty or Jesus or Christ. That's wicked for a Christian to take on your lips the holy name of God and cheapen it in that way. If God means anything to you, you can't use his name in that way, nor can you be comfortable when others do it. If you have a good marriage, you don't express your frustration and anger towards people by taking your ring off and stomping on it. Nor do you take the name of the Lord, your precious God, in vain. Second kind of language that would be included under the category of rotten words. Trivializing. Terrible realities like hell and damnation and holiness. It's a great contradiction when Christians who claim to believe the teachings of the Bible say, hell no, to hell with it, go to hell, damn it. Holy cow, holy mackerel, or holy anything. 
Hell is awesome. Hell is terrible. Any use of the word hell that cheapens, trivializes, belittles the terribleness of this reality is an act of lovelessness and folly. Any use of the word damn that doesn't take account of the awesome, horrible reality of hearing that word on the judgment day pronounced against unbelievers among whom you live is a contradiction. You can't use it if you believe those truths. And if you have heard the voice of the Almighty speaking the words, Thou shalt be holy as I am holy, and have put upon those words the worth of Christ and Moses and the apostles, you can't say a holy cow, holy mackerel. Holiness is awesome. Holiness is precious. Holiness is the most wonderful thing in the world. Holiness is what we're after in life. You don't take great and awesome and terrible realities and smush them in the ground and use them for punctuation marks when you're talking about sports and, and politics in order to express your gut feelings. These are awesome things. They must be preserved as awesome. It is a living contradiction when Bible-believing converts say, Hell no. Holy cow. Damn it. A living contradiction to what you say you believe. Third. Rotten language would include vulgar references to sex and the human body. This kind of language is invented by people who take good things that God has created and then use them as dirt to spread over whatever they don't like. The assumption behind four-letter words is that they express scorn or disdain or hate. I wouldn't begin to take them on my lips this morning. How does this happen? For example, how does the good creation of sexual relations given by God to be enjoyed and fulfilled in marriage alone, how does it become a four-letter word used to indict people with scorn and to heap hate and disdain upon things? What, 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 what happens? Three things happen. Number one, first you get God out of your mind. That's fundamental to all vulgarity. Get God out of your mind. Second, get the sanctity of God's created gifts out of your mind. Get it out. That's fundamental to vulgarity. 
And then third, in your mind, replace the tenderness of married love with the force of rape. And there's your word. Ready to do verbally what rape does physically. That's how they're created. That's why they may not pass the lips of believers. And I would just say, incidentally, in passing to the women, and I'm not presuming that only men use this kind of language, but I would say to the women, especially the single women, don't spend two minutes with a man who uses this kind of language. Because rotten language and rape come from exactly the same root. The fourth and final kind of language that comes from rottenness or is implied in Paul's word rotten language is mean-spirited language. Shut up. That's just mean. It's ugly, it's unkind, it's loveless. And that's excluded. It shouldn't pass your mouth as a Christian. It should not come from you. Well, those are the four that come to my mind when I think of rotten language. Let no rotten words come out of your mouth, Paul says. Now, the second question we must ask is, What's implied by calling all of this language rotten? What does that signify or imply about this language and its value or uselessness? Four things, I think, are implied about this language in the words rotten. Number one, rotten fruit does not nourish Neither does rotten language. We're not helped. You don't help anybody or encourage anybody or build anybody up or nourish anybody's faith or hope when you use this kind of language. It's void of nourishing power. Isn't it interesting that in Colossians, I think it's 4, 6, he says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. And back in the Gospels, Jesus says, if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You put the two together and I think you can conclude that language can become as useless as savorless salt. And it is. This kind of, of rotten language is totally useless as far as nourishing or seasoning any Body. Second, rotten fruit will probably make you sick if you are forced to eat it. It's a very unloving thing to force people to eat our language sometimes. Rotten fruit will make you sick, so will rotten language. You know, don't you, from your experience, maybe with your parents or maybe with a roommate, that language can hurt very deeply. It can send wounds more deeply than sticks and stones. So what are words? Rotten words are like a virus. 
There's a disease of meanness in a parent, and the words transmit the disease to the child. There's a disease of vulgarity in a roommate or a colleague, and the words transmit the disease to the colleague or the roommate. Words can kill. Words can infect and ruin like rotten fruit would if we were forced to eat it. Third, rotten fruit smells bad and makes the atmosphere unpleasant. I remember two friends, can I call them, in graduate school who carried about them an aroma of vulgarity. Ever met anybody like that? They seemed that the only thing they could laugh at was sexual innuendo. If you couldn't find a little way to twist something, to give it a little sexual innuendo, they never laughed. And the closer their minds got to the gutter, the more raucous their laugh became. That's a strange thing. And it just messed up the whole atmosphere at the dining table or anywhere else. There was this kind of haze of muck. It just stunk hanging over the, the conversation. And you couldn't see out of it to anything glorious. There's a big important truth here about this kind of talk. Can you, standing in an adult bookstore, which, by the way, is an incredible misnomer, it should be adolescent bookstore, men who've never quite gotten beyond the first uncontrollable sexual impulses, call them adults, Suppose you're standing in one of these stores and you look out the window if there were a window, which there usually aren't. Could you be deeply moved in your soul by the glory of a setting sun? No way. You see, the atmosphere that's created by obscenity and vulgarity is just oppressive. It destroys noble and high and lofty thoughts and feelings and keeps us down. The fourth thing that's implied in rotten language, I think, is that the, the fruit probably comes, the rotten fruit probably comes from a rotten tree. Now, this would be true, at least, if it were rotten as soon as it came out on the branch, which is what happens with our words. If our words pop out and they're immediately rotten, then we know the rottenness is in the root as well as in the fruit. So that's the fourth thing implied in this choice of word by Paul, because it harks back to what Jesus said. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart speaks good. The bad man out of the bad treasure of his heart speaks evil. So we know that if a person uses the Lord's name in vain, if a person takes awesome and terrible realities and, and trivializes them with his tongue, if a person takes the good gifts of sexuality and vulgarizes them, if a person uses his words as weapons of one-upmanship and is mean-spirited, we know the root is rotten. 
There's no accident. Those words aren't coming from the moon. They're coming from the heart that seethes with anger and resentments and frustrations that erupts in rotten language. The root is bad. Now, once we've seen this, we won't be so surprised at what comes next in our text. What comes next? Not what I would have expected. I would have expected that after Paul had said, get the rotten language out of your mouth, that he would talk a little bit about clean language. That he would say, now, now use good, wholesome, clean, creative, clear communicating words. Talk a little bit about communication and, and cleanness. And he doesn't. Instead of proposing clean language, he proposes a whole new way of thinking about the mouth and about language. Instead of saying, you don't need dirty language to communicate your intention, he says, is your intention loving? You see how he's going to the root now? How he's getting beneath the whole issue of verbal talk down to the source of it all? The issue in Paul's mind is not whether the mouth can avoid bad words. That's not the issue. The Christian issue is whether the mouth is a means of grace. Let's read verse 29 all the way through. Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for edifying. And the RSV says, as fits the occasion, literally, which is good for edifying, that is edifying of need, meeting a need. That's the specific idea. That it may impart grace to those who hear. Now, do you see the shift that happens here in this verse? He doesn't say, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but instead let fresh, clean talk come out of your mouth. He doesn't say that. He says, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but ask this. Is my mouth a means of grace? Am I meeting people's needs with my words? Am I loving with my language? Am I building up faith? Am I meeting the needs of the people? This is a much more radical approach to the mouth and to language than just to say, stop swearing and keep your mouth clean. That's what ordinary moralists say. You know, just don't use bad language. It's offensive and you don't want to offend people. Uh, use clean, acceptable language. That's not Christianity. Christianity is don't use bad language. Go to the root of the matter. Become the kind of person who spills over with grace to other people, who calculates your words not just to avoid bad things, but to dispense good things, to build people up in their faith and to meet their needs. So radical and revolutionary approach to your mouth. In fact, it's the same revolutionary approach that we saw last week to your job. Do you see the connection? Let's look at verse 28 and I'll I'll try to. Uh, uh, make the connection for you. In verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing good with his hands. And then he shifts. 
from the what to the why. Why work so that he may be able to give to those in need. In other words, it's not Christian to stop stealing in order to have. It's not Christian to start working in order to have. It's Christian to work in order to have, in order to give. That is to meet needs. That is to impart grace. Now, you see the connection with verse 29? The same thing happens in verse 29. Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good. And then he shifts, just like in verse 28, from the what to the why. For edification to meet needs so that you'll give grace to those who hear. So it's not Christian to stop swearing. It's not Christian to keep your mouth clean and use nice, acceptable language. That's just moral. Pagan moral. What's Christian is when you become the kind of person who thinks through how you might use your mouth to build faith. To administer grace to people. You make your mouth a means of grace and you're a Christian. Avoid bad language and use acceptable language. You're sub-Christian. There's so many people who think Christianity is just ethics. Just a little sprucing up on the outside. And there's so many of us parents who've given that impression to our children. And we must avoid that. We must try to get at the root of wickedness, not play around on the surface of things. If my mother had only washed out my mouth and never prayed and labored and cried that my heart would be washed out with the gospel, I might have grown up absolutely impeccable in my speech and going to hell, not a Christian Not born of God and cleansed by the blood, resting in the finished work of Christ and depending on the Holy Spirit to cleanse my inner man. A Christian is a person whose rotten root has been changed. Person whose root has been changed by grace through faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's grace, the grace of God mediated through faith that comes in and spreads the blood of Christ over all the anger and resentment and bitterness and frustration and disappointment that so easily erupts into rotten language. The Spirit applies the blood of Christ, poured out on Calvary, just spreads it over all that stuff, covers it, forgives it, wraps around it, nails it to the cross, and then Paul says, strip it off. Just an old useless rag. Strip it off and get rid of it on a new mouth, a new way of talking. Well, let me ask you this last question. What... Does the Holy Spirit leave behind when he has covered anger and resentment and frustration and bitterness? What does he leave in its place or what does he push it out with? And the answer is hope. And I get that from verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Now, what does that mean? What's the connection here between the sealing work of the Holy Spirit to keep us for the day of redemption and not letting rotten things come out of our mouth? Well, verse 30 means that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. And you know why he dwells within you? What his aim and purpose is, according to this verse? To seal you. That means secure you for God. But very specifically, for the day of redemption. Now, what does that mean? It means that God sent the Holy Spirit into your life to put the stamp and image of God upon you so that you would be held, kept and secured for the day of redemption And that means hope, confidence, security. What's the day of redemption? The day of redemption is the day when all the battle with sin will be over. The day of redemption is the day when all my deepest longings are going to be satisfied with a vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The day of redemption is no more groaning and no more fear and no more frustration, no more sin, no more weakness. It's the great day of consummation and fulfillment when what was begun in my life at regeneration and certified on the cross is going to be brought to consummation at the judgment day when Jesus comes. And this text says, the Holy Spirit has been given to you to seal you. For that day so that you can abound in hope. You don't have to be afraid that you're going to miss it. It frees you from anxieties and fears and worries and all the frustrations and disappointments that go with them that erupt in rotten language. Now, do you see the connection? Let me try it again. How do you grieve a Holy Spirit that has been given to you? so that you will have hope in the day of redemption. Answer, don't hope. If the Holy Spirit has been given to you by God to seal you and fill you with confidence in the day of redemption, the best way to grieve Him is not to hope. Don't hope. Worry. Don't hope. Be anxious. Don't hope. Fret. Don't hope. Get disappointed about your life situation that things have fallen apart. Don't hope. If you want to grieve the Holy Spirit, don't hope. But now, what's that got to do with rotten language? Well, you know where rotten language comes from. It comes from hopeless hearts that are seething with bitterness and anger and resentment and and discouragements that have no resources to get their insides taken care of. To give hope to their heart instead of just seething with all the disappointments of life. We know where rotten language comes from. It comes from a hopeless heart. So how do you get rid of of rotten language? You hope. And so it's rotten language that grieves the Holy Spirit because it says to the Holy Spirit, you're not enough to satisfy my heart. I'm really upset and I can't handle it and I'm going to erupt in anger and rotten language again today. Do you see the connections now between verse 29 and, and 30? Let me close with this final question. Don't merely ask, how can I stop swearing and start speaking acceptable language? That's not the Christian question. The issue is not language. The issue is love. 
ask yourself rather, is my mouth becoming a means of grace? Grace for my children, grace for my roommate, grace for my work partner at work, grace for my wife or spouse, grace for my my neighbor? Is my mouth becoming a fountain of life and grace for people? Or am I just selfishly emitting things that give exactly what I'm feeling inside? Is that all my mouth is? Is a release for my seething heart. But don't stop there. Ask behind that. Am I fretting about my job? My marriage, my children, my money, my health, my circumstances. Am I fretting and anxious and discouraged and therefore getting uptight and then becoming bitter and then becoming resentful and then? Or do I believe God when he says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? Do I believe God when he says I will work everything together for your good? Do I believe God when he says, I have given you my Holy Spirit to seal you and keep you and work with you and bring you infallibly to the day of redemption? Do I believe God in those things and therefore find rest and hope and freedom and soothing? Or do I not? There's a hymn that I'd like to sing as a prayer in closing. It's a prayer that could be your response. I hope it is your response. It's number 442, and I only want to sing the second, the uh, third, and the fourth verses. And, and I want you to focus on the words, because you'll hear the message, I think, if you focus on the words. And if God has been working, then this may be your word from your heart to God. And I pray that it is. 442, verses 2, 3, and 4. Shall we stand?